Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I am Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa, and we got a great show for everybody today. Vegas is 10-1 and in the Stone Age. We're going to look into that and, and the teams that they've beaten and how this how this looks going forward. We're going to touch on the injury front with Marc-Andre Fleury and then Max Pacioretty taking <coughs> an awkward play along the boards, and, and we'll update his status as well. Um, we're going to look at the playoff positions. Are they locked into the three seed as hard as everyone thinks they are? Can they catch the Sharks for some home ice in the first round? And then we're going to look ahead to next season and and break down the salary cap issues that the Golden Knights are going to be facing at the end of the season. After that, we're going to go around the league, and we're going to focus mostly on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Can they be beat? Do they have a weakness? Uh, Newsflash, probably not, Um, but uh, we're going to get into that. And then Gabriel Foley from the Last Word on Hockey's uh, Twitter handle, at Last Word on Puck, he's going to join us, and we're going to talk a lot about the St. Louis Blues. So everybody stay tuned. We've got a real good show today. We'll be right back. All right, hockey fans, thanks for joining the Vegas Hockey Podcast today. Uh, It's been a pretty crazy week over here in the Warner household. I was sharing with Chris a little bit off the air. Uh, Things have been going crazy, but I'm in good hands. Trust me on that. So uh, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do the show today, and and things just fell right into place and and let us come on and talk a little hockey with everybody this Saturday morning. Uh, So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Chris, good day to you, sir. Good day to you. Yeah, we got an action-packed show, and plus we have an OT segment on the coaches on the hot seat, and there'll be a lot of coaching changes, as we already know. So uh, why don't we kick it off? Why don't you uh, give us uh, the update on Flory and Pacioretty? It looks like uh, the Knights really dodged a, dodged a bullet or got a lucky bounce, if you will, with the mm-hmm. Pacioretty situation, which could have been much worse. Well, yeah, uh, actually in, in the same spot on the ice as, as Eric Hall's injury, and it was actually – a lot of the same injury. He wasn't really checked going into the boards. Um, he, he, was, he was trying to get the puck along the boards, and Pacioretty got his, his skate stuck in a rut or, or between the boards and, and uh, went over wrong a lot of the way Holla did, but not quite as bad. And the reports out of the arena were that he left the, left the arena before the game was over, and, he, you know... As as good as Max Pacioretty playing lately, that's not something you want with Mark Andre Fleury down as well. Now you're losing, you know, maybe some of the chemistry on that the second slash first line with the Stasny Stone and and Pacioretty. They've been that good, and you obviously you don't want to see any kind of an injury like that going into the playoffs. Well, he hasn't skated, but they've updated his status as day to day. Coach Gallant said that it's not as bad as we thought, so take that for what it's worth. Eric Halla's injury was listed day-to-day as well, so I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to put a picture on things here, but maybe it it is, what, a a knee strain or an ankle sprain or something that will allow him to come back at least in time for the playoffs. Excuse me. So we are going to keep our eye on that when he starts skating. We'll definitely let everybody know. And Mark Andre Fleury missing three games now. Um, Malcolm Subban coming up large for the Vegas Golden Knights, three and zero. First career shutout against Winnipeg. 
on Thursday night. Five nothing winner. And he was taxed. There's uh, some big saves he had to make early in that game before the Golden Knights really took over uh, in, in the second period. That kept it a, a scoreless effort for the Jets. And so Subban's been great. Definitely we want all to be well with Flurry. Coach Gallant doesn't seem to be worried about it when he's asked at the press conferences. He chuckles and, and laughs and gives the uh, no-update answer, day-to-day answer. But he, he, he says it um lightheartedly if you will so i not worried about uh flurry at this time patcheretti still still unknown but possibly some good news out of vegas golden knights camp yesterday with the uh not as bad as we thought comments coming coming out so as long as it's not eric hall's day to day then then i think patcheretti's going to be okay as well yeah, and, you know, the Knights are hitting their stride. They're pairing, like you said, their best hockey of the year uh, since the trade deadline. They're, uh, like, uh, during this uh, streak, they're 10-1. And, one. and uh, you know, because the Sharks, who actually were on a hot streak, they, they had won six in a row, and then all of a sudden yeah. they come off. Hit a, you know, like all teams, they've hit a really bad stretch. Uh, they lost last night in overtime, although it was the first time in five games they, they got a point got out a of a point. game. So they're all for yeah, uh, to Anaheim. So, yeah. um, you know, they're they're 0-4-1 in their last five, and because Vegas has gone 10-1, and I mean, Vegas is not going to catch Calgary, and it looks like Calgary, uh, unless something, you know, is the odds, by far the odds on favorite to win the division. But, you know, they sh- uh, the, the Knights are only going into today, they're only six points back of the Sharks with yeah. the game in hand. So, yeah. uh, and also a week from today, the Knights uh, have one more game with the Sharks in San yes, Jose. So, so if we do a little math here, if mm-hmm. uh, capitalize right where capitalize, I was going, yes, sir. If uh, the the Knights can win that game in hand in any shape or fashion, uh, as call long it as Detroit the tonight. It'd be Detroit okay. tonight. That so you, you get your two points there. And if they can beat the Sharks next week. In regulation, so they get two points, the Sharks get none. What, yes, we'll, what, what that will mean is uh, the Knights will be down two points to the Sharks uh, with six games to go. Um, now, I believe the Sharks are in pretty good position in terms of the tiebreaker. I think their ROW is a bit higher than than Vegas. So, that, I mean, I you know, I believe uh, last time I checked that yeah. earlier in the week. So, Four but games. having said that. When, you know, going into last week, I was like, well, the Sharks, you know, probably 90, 90% or so for certain. They're going to be the number three seed for sure. Got to make sure they hold off Arizona. Well, they're they're fine in terms of uh, Arizona's not going to catch them now. We know, and uh, they they do have a they do have a realistic chance um, to get to that three uh, to get to that two spot. And obviously, they're still going to play the Sharks in the first round, most likely. But obviously, having home ice and having the beginning of the series being at home versus on the road is always a good thing. So they definitely have something to play for, and and um, uh, they got they got a good shot out of it, especially if they can take care of what they can control, which is winning the game that they have in hand, and if they can beat the Sharks again like they did earlier in the week in San Jose. So um, yeah, that that would be that's an interesting storyline to follow between now and then, and as well as getting Pacioretty and Flurry healthy. 
Yeah, I'll go. I'll go one better. That game next Saturday night might be to tie for that second place spot. Oh four and one in their last five, like you said, the Sharks. Um, they they have Detroit tonight. No, no, Golden Knights have Detroit tonight. Um, San, let, let's say that San Jose, they're they're on a bit of a down streak. I'm not sure of Eric Carlson's status, but Pavelski's also been out. Um, let's say they split. They have two road games: St. Louis, Colorado. Let's say they they get a win, they get a loss, then they go home and they win the Minnesota game. Um, sorry, hold on. My mistake. Okay, now we're back at it. They had, I was looking at the Golden Knights schedule. So the, the, they, they have Detroit-Chicago at home this week. Let's say they split those two games. Um, they're getting – let's say they beat Detroit, and Chicago, who's who's still in the playoff hunt, um, comes in and, and beats them Thursday, right? If Vegas wins their games this week, that game will tie them. I believe it's 90 – 99 points, if I'm looking at it right. Yeah, that game will be the tie for second place at 99 points if the Vegas Golden Knights win their games this week and Chicago splits. If, yeah, if, because, yeah, I mean, to make it make it uh, a little bit easier, uh, like I said, uh, if they can win their game in hand, which let's say is tonight, and they can beat them uh, in regulation next week, they'll only be two points back of them, which is basically you know one game. So if they can, they just basically have to pick up one game in the last six, and then depending upon where the tiebreaker's at, which I don't know if you can look up real quick right now where the ROW stands there, Mark, um, not in front of a computer. but Yeah, um, the, uh, the, sh- the Sharks are up by four. It's 43 to 39. So the, the yeah, ROW is so definitely going to fall there for the Sharks. Yes, sir. Right. It's unlikely that the, the Knights are going to finish ahead of – if it comes down to the tiebreaker, it's unlikely being four down. Like if the Sharks – if the Knights wind up – uh, with a higher ROW, they're not going to finish in the tie. They're going to finish. They're going to finish ahead of them anyway. So the, the, that point will be moved. Move. So, uh, but point being is, it, I think it went from a, a a bit of a long shot from as uh, recently as a week ago to a real po- you know a real possibility, something that's on the table for the Knights uh, if they can continue to play really well. And obviously, if the Sharks continue to struggle. You know, I finally, you know, during that streak, and the Sharks beat some impressive teams during that streak, I was feeling like, you know, the Sharks are finally getting it all together. They've been a little bit up and down, although they've always, you know, seemed to be pretty good, pretty solid in the standings, and you felt like they were ready to take off. And then, you know, since then, uh, you know, 0-4-1. So uh, we'll see. You know, I'm sure the Sharks are going to, you know, they're going to really try to rally the troops and stuff as well. So they're too good of a team to continue you know, losing night after night. Um, teams yeah. Teams sometimes fall into the, you know, so, I mean, uh, we'll see. Looking like ahead, said, too, like said, the, the last week of the season, um, the Vegas Golden Knights play Edmonton and Arizona at home and then finish with the Kings. Um, San Jose has Calgary at home, and then they go to Vancouver and Edmonton, and then they have Colorado at home to finish things out. Which so, could mean something or – could not. Yeah. Well, let's, right. Why don't we jump? Why don't we jump into uh, so we don't we do it justice? Uh, you know, again, we're we're focusing on the here and the now for the nights, but you know, obviously the last couple of shows talking a lot about the Mark Stone from a couple of weeks ago from the trade of 
as well as the play their their play since he's come on board and how well he's played. Yada yada yada. And you know, one thing we haven't delved into and we want to just get, you know, delve into a little bit is with the signing of his extension, um, that kicks in uh, next season at nine and a half per, you know, the Knights have a, a lot of money already put towards next year's cap, you know, currently constituted. Uh, the, the Knights have 17 players signed for $79.5 million, uh, per uh, per cap friendly. So that, now the, the cap ceiling for next season is estimated to fall between 82 and $83 million, which means roughly speaking, let's just say we'll split the baby, the Knights are roughly uh, $3 million under the cap with six players still to get to a 23-man roster. You know, William Carlson is... Uh, an RFA. So obviously him alone, his number next year is going to be at least $6 million, which will put them over the cap. No six is an RFA. Subban's an RFA. And then you got uh, you know guys like uh, Bobby Carpenter, who is a UFA. Puri's a UFA. Belmar's a UFA. So bottom line is there's going to be some changes on this roster because they're not going to be able to shoehorn all these players in. I mean, the Knights are going to be going to have to make some moves to re-sign Carlson. Just to re-sign Carlson, Nosek, and Subban, and then let's say sign uh, another three players to fill out the roster. Um, they're going to have to make some moves or a move or two to get under the cap. So without going too crazy here, you know, uh, that will either mean you know a trade. Um, so you're looking at possibly just to throw out a name or two, or, uh, possibly you know, a Riley Smith who makes five million next year, or a Cody Eakin who makes three point eight five million next year, or the David Clarkson situation, which we could probably do a whole podcast on. But you know, uh, yeah. uh, if they can save, if we can save a little bit money, if they could save a little bit of money in terms of buying him out, but I, I think it would be more of a little bit, not not a lot. Is he? Can they move him in a deal where they give up futures and someone takes him on because he has a 5.25 million cap hit, but his actual salary is only 3.25, which is you know a little bit of a discount. Someone trying to get to the floor, but then what kind of future assets you have to give up? And oh, by the way, David Clarkson has no move clause, and you know Vegas is obviously in the state of Nevada, which uh, you know is a state-free tax zone. So you throw that all in there. So that's kind of a complicated issue. It's not impossible, but it's a little bit of threading the needle. Uh, a lot of, you know, and again, when George McPhee, uh, you know, signed Stone to this extension, he he knew that he knew the numbers. Uh, yeah. I'm sure he has a plan. I'm sure he has a plan, but uh, just a quick uh, thought or two, Mark, how, how do you see Vegas moving forward come the off season? And, and the reason again, too, to keep in mind is remember, Alex Tuck is going from, I think, a little under a million dollars to like 4.7, 4.8. Patch Reddy's uh, increase from four and a quarter to seven million kicks in next year. Obviously, this, the Stone number as well, as well as a, a couple other people's uh, increases as well. So, uh, how do you see uh, how do you see uh, McPhee uh, looking at his options moving forward? We went from having a, a surplus of cap space as an asset. Um, we saw that when when the Golden Knights acquired Ryan Reeves. They're still on the hit for $2 million of 
Derek Brassard money. They're still on the hook for $500,000 the next three years of Thomas Tatar money. <coughs> Excuse me, and you mentioned the David Clarkson contract, 5.25 through next season. <coughs> Excuse me. That's, um, let's just do quick math and call it close to $8 million in dead money. Um, yeah, but uh, Broussard comes off, I believe, this year, right? So he's not he's not an issue uh, next year. Obviously, Clarkson is Tatar five hundred thousand is that, that goes into the that goes into the seventy nine and a half. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but uh, you know, and again, those are all you know real numbers of what's signed for in, uh, next year. Uh, let's just put the table the Clarkson situation aside because I think that's a tricky situation on a number of fronts, not to mention having to give up futures, which we've talked about on after the stone deal, let's batten down the hatches in terms of trading futures. Uh, how do you feel about trading for Cody Eakin, who's one year away from free agency, unrestricted, who they're probably not going to be able to afford given all the other players they've signed, who's, you know, having a great year, but that means you sell high versus, you know, sell high, buy low, or yeah. someone like O'Reilly Smith, uh, again, uh, who's got three more years to go, who's been a solid uh, player for them, to say the least. But again, keep in mind, in these trades, you know, if you're looking at, you know, if, let's just say hypothetically, you're looking to trade Riley Smith, right? And say, okay, he's got a $5 million cap number. If you trade him for, let's say, a lesser player and a draft pick, and a lesser player is making $2.5 million, okay, well, you're still picking up $2.5 million. You're only clearing $2.5 million cap space. So it's one thing if you traded him for a player now uh, versus, you know, picks and prospects. So how do you feel? You know, I, I went through the roster uh, this week yeah. and, and and try to find, okay, what moves make sense. And those were the kind of the only two guys that jumped out at me uh, in terms of clearing cap space. Uh, uh, Look, certain. you, you got to figure out how to keep Riley Smith. He has been on fire for the last month of the season. Um, he had a he had a, a dip in scoring production, but coach was always quick to say that even if it wasn't going in the net, um, he he's contributing on the ice. His his play on the right wing side and the speed that he has is you're not going to find a replacement from that in the Golden Knight system and and the chemistry with Marceau and Carlson. So I think Riley Smith is a non-starter. He, Cody Eakin has maybe been the unsung hero of this club. He's had a, a very consistent season. Um, one more and he's on 20 goals from the third line position with, I don't know how many line mates he's played with this year, add him up. Um, and, and through that, he's been very consistent. That being said, if you're in the Golden Knights system, you have another Cody, uh, Cody Glass, first draft pick in Vegas Golden Knights history, who's done all he needs to do to prove that he can play in the NHL. And I don't know if you take another player back for Eakin 
or maybe And it's hard to see it's hard to see the Bucks re signing Eakin after next year given all the other salaries that they have. You know, oh right, by the sure. way, remember they, they re up Nate Schmidt, uh his extension I think kicks in next year. So, you know, unfortunately when you ha- this happens with teams and they have too many good players and obviously the Stone Stone's making, you know, towards the top of the league in terms of a cap hit. Yep. You know, Mark Andre Fleury's extension they, kicks in. Oh right, Theodore right, right. Kicks so this, in. Nate Schmidt, uh, William Carlson situation. There's a lot of money that that's going higher than the than what it is today. Yeah, I mean, so, I would I would say this: if at being at the seventy nine and a half number, even let's just say Carlson costs six and a half, because I think he's making five seven five. I'll just pick a, that number to make it easy. So that that takes them uh, that takes them to eighty six. And then let's say you sign Subban and Nosick, and then you fill out the roster with the last three spots. You know they could be around close to ninety million, and if the cap is around eighty-two and a half, eighty-three million, that means they got to they got to have to they have to cut seven million in cap. Uh, so yeah. even trading a Cody Eakin, let's say, to replenish the system, for lack of a better term, at three point eight five, still got to be another move somewhere in there to get under the cap. Uh, for them, and I'll that give also you a player, means that I'll give you a player you didn't mention yet. Yep. Um, okay. And he he's only played uh, about a month this year. Eric Halla is a two point seven five million dollar cap hit for next season, and then an RFA. Now you don't know what he's going to be able to bring back, and I love Eric Halla as a player, but a lot of his game is based on on his speed and skating, and after a major knee injury. Um, you don't know how much of that is going to be there, so that's another another piece. And and being so loaded at the center position, Eric Halla might be another attractive attractive piece um, that could be moved maybe at the draft, and that gives yeah, you another. Yeah, it's going to be a big. It's it's tough. Yeah, it's There's going to be changes on this team. Yeah, there's going to it's a big theme. This is the big theme, obviously the draft. But this is a big thing for the for the Golden Knights in terms of this off season. So we just wanted to kind of throw it out there, and I'm sure we'll I'm sure a lot of this will be the dust will be settled before we sign off with our free agency show in July. But just you know something to keep in mind. There 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 will be changes because there have to be changes because they have to get under the cap. Now maybe what would be perfect is if somehow some way George McPhee can wind up trading David Clarkson and let's say a future or two that's not going to totally be an overpay, if you will, and and that would clear out five and a quarter of camp space and get David Clarkson to, uh, to agree to all that. Again, that's, uh, to me, uh, kind of threading, threading the needle on multiple fronts, but, you know, maybe maybe he can figure a way out uh, to do that. So, uh, yeah, it'll be, it's going to be an interesting offseason for that, but... Uh, why don't we got a, we got about seven minutes before Gabriel Foley joins us. So why don't we just jump in? We haven't talked, given their due enough because they've been so darn good. And it's like, well, what's there to talk about? Because the Tampa Bay Lightning just just win and win and win and win, and they've already clinched the President's Cup. My question to you, sir, is: Is there a team? Is there a team in the East? Uh, obviously, they have to go through three rounds in the East. Is there a team in the East that can that can beat them in the seven game series and and whoever emerges from the West, I mean, what, who would be their greatest threat? I mean, they just seem so explosive, 
so deep, they're loaded. I mean, I mean, I guess if you want to nitpick, you could say, well, what if, uh, you know, other than getting besieged with injuries, and if you wanted to nitpick and say, well, what if Vasilevsky? Well, I could say that about almost any team, right? If I said to you, Mark, well, if I looked well, at sure, the yeah. ball and said, oh, in game two of the first round, the Knights are going to lose Marc-Andre Fleury or, uh, you know, uh, or the Jets are going to lose uh, um, uh, Hellebuck. You know what I mean? I mean, I can say that about almost anybody, to be fair. But, I mean, this they're having uh, one of the, be- the best seasons in the NHL, NHL regular season in quite some time. And uh, I never say never, but boy, oh, boy, it, it, it's hard to – see a team beating them in the seven-game series. Yeah, I'm going through the stats getting ready for the show this week, and um, it's actually almost silly. It's almost NHL, uh, EA Sports. Let me go down. Let me let, me let you find a weakness in this. Uh, leading points in the league, Nikita Kucherov, 120. Um, assists, Nikita Kucherov, 83. Plus minus Ryan McDonough, Tampa Bay, thirty-eight. Power play goals, Braden Point, Tampa Bay, twenty. Shorthanded goals, Anthony Sorelli tied for second, five. Um, okay, maybe their goalie. Ah, save percentage, Andre Vasilevsky, second, nine thirty. Goals against, Andre Vasilevsky, fourth, and really the only regular starter. Uh, 2.9. You've got uh, Halak, who's been a backup. Leonard, who splits time with Grice. Bishop has missed a month of the season. And, and Bennington, who's just coming up with St. Louis for 20 games. Only the, full, the, the best full-time goals against average in the league at 2.29. Uh, wins, 36. Andre Vasilevsky. Oh, maybe there's some uh, special teams play. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, number one overall power play. Tampa Bay Lightning, number one overall penalty kill. Face-off win percentage, eighth in the league. Um, I don't know how much far I, I, I got, I, I got most I, I wins, got fewest losses. <laughs> I mean, I, I, points. I got where where, where I got do an, you go, Chris? I got an intangible for you, too. Now, while, like, in past years, and I know you're a big believer in this, and so am I, having players on a team trying to win a cup, having a couple of guys in the room who've won cups, i.e. Justin Williams. Now, the Lightning, off the top of my head, don't really have a guy like that. But what they do have is these last three, four years, right, five years, if you will, the Lightning have had a couple of long runs, including getting to the Stanley uh, Stanley Cup, Cup final, final. Yep. against the and Eastern the Conference Boston. final, and Eastern Two Conference out of the last final, three. and then yep. you know the Lightning up here in the New York area, also from Ranger fan perspective, uh, not that I'm one of them, but call the Lightning Ranger South. So they have guys like Ryan McDonough and Dan Girardi, and they were part of some of the runs that the Rangers had, including getting to the Stanley Cup final against the Kings. So my point is. They have a number of players, Ryan Callahan being another guy. They have a number of guys in that room who've gone on long runs. They haven't tasted, you know, uh, the drink from the cup yet, but they've come darn close, and they have a ton of experience. And that is, like, I think another intangible uh, for this group that they have. And i got to be honest with you, 
I mean, it is hard for me to see them not winning the cup. It really, really is. It's. I think they're going to, you know, anyone can get hurt here or there, and they're dealing with a couple injuries now. Um, but come playoff time, it sounds like they should be okay. Um, but boy, oh boy, I mean, maybe, the, you know, obviously the Capitals would give them uh, a tough fight. Um, you know, pick a it team. Happens. People yeah, were saying the same thing the West, about Tampa last season. Yeah, they I think it's game gonna, it's six and take, seven at home. Washington went in there and beat yep. them. That's right. It's going to take a heck of a, you know, and I think it's going to take a team that has a heck of a goalie playing at the highest, his highest level, i.e., a Mark Andre Fleury, i.e., a Braden, a Braden Holtby. Um, so I think it's going to be a certain, certain matchup, if you will, i.e., kind of hollow bucks from last year. Last year's kind of hollow bucks. So. But it's 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 hard for me to see. Uh, you know, to me, there's Tampa and there's everybody else. I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion, but uh, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to. It would be a major. Let's put it this way: Am I out of bounds saying it would be a major, major, major upset if the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't win the Cup this year? I think you went one too many majors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think here oh. here I'll give you I'll give you a scenario. Um, Boston gets into the second round and, and Tampa advances and Boston gives them a tough, physical, hard seven game series, either, either, uh, beats them up and moves on. I think Boston's their biggest challenge in the East personally, matchup wise. I think they can Uh, score. I think, I think they can score. I think their first line is amazing. Uh, Pasternak's come back and he doesn't look like he's missed a beat. I think they're very deep defensively. And I think that, and I think they're more than good enough in goal. So, but if if they don't oust Tampa Bay, I think they can take a lot out of their legs in playing a physical seven-game series. Now, let's say they have an Eastern Conference rematch with Washington Capitals, who's based on on speed and skill and moving the puck up north and south, up and down the ice. Um, if if that second round series takes a lot out of Tampa's legs and, and is physical enough, maybe you lose a player or two to injury, whatever, and then Washington comes in with a chip on their shoulder being the defending champion saying everyone's talking about you, but we can do it again. There's a scenario there with those two teams if it plays out where I could see Tampa having trouble getting to the cup final what happens in the cup final we go on from there uh, we're talking about the western conference gabriel foley just joined us on the vegas hockey podcast and we'll get with gabriel in just a second um but to finish my thought that's the only scenario i see that tampa's going to have trouble with um i would favor them against boston and i would favor them against washington but there is that scenario where boston can play that that grind it out playoff style hockey that we haven't seen Tampa be able to get over the hump against or with. I think that is where, and then this, this year's team, you know, whatever regular season, we've seen Washington have the same style regular season two years ago. And I believe losing the first round with the president's cup. Um, And there was even talk of having to trade Alexander Ovechkin and blow the whole thing up if I recall, and that was just two years ago. <clears throat> so major, major, major upset. I won't do that. Um, I need to see Tampa Bay play 
playoff style hockey in the playoffs because as you know, they've gotten to the Stanley cup final, they've gotten into the Eastern conference finals. Um, last year is a disappointment to me for Tampa Bay because they had six and seven in the conference final on home ice and didn't get the job done. So until you do that, show me, don't tell me, but yes, Tampa Bay lightning. Absolutely. Where, I mean, as of right now, they don't have a weakness. Bring Gabe on. Yep. Let me, let me, let me welcome Gabriel Foley to the show. Uh, at NHL Foley, he covers the St. Louis Blues for the last word on hockey. That was actually the first website that I started blogging hockey with so a uh, long time ago, and I haven't ridden for them in, in quite some time. But I was at one time a, a uh, writer for last word on hockey, too. Gabriel, welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. All right. I appreciate it. So we're here to talk some St. Louis Blues. Um my my concern with with St. Louis and yours as well, and and we talked about this in our preseason show, was that the roster turnover in the off season, um, it, it seemed to be that they went a little bit, you know, maybe making some moves just to make some moves, um, and I always have trouble with teams that do that. The Florida Panthers a few years back were in the made the playoffs for the first time in in twenty years, and and turned over a bunch of roster players from their defense and fired Gerard Gallant 20 games into the season. Um, and it did take the blues a while to get started. Um, what can you trace back to, to what reignited this St. Louis blues club this season? Going back, I think the biggest influence has actually been Craig Berube behind the bench. Um, Berube was brought in in early November. Um, so he didn't really have, time to make an impact on the team um, until now. And I think we're finally seeing that. And I think the players credit him with that as well. Um, and then also calling up the star rookie goalie, Jordy, Jordan Bennington, uh, has made a huge difference. Uh, Bennington was recalled on January 5th. And since then, the Blues are 23-9-4. and And I think that's all from uh, Bennington's strong play. Obviously, when you have a strong goalie in that, everyone's going to play better in front of him. So, Barubi's mindset and making the team a winning team and just having a star in that has really transformed this, this St. Louis Blues roster. Well, I wanted to get into Jordan Bennington, 19-4-1 since coming up. Um, but first, uh, if, when we go back in the frustrations at the start of the season, um, there's a nationally – reported fight in in practice which happens all the time but this seemed to get more attention than than a lot of other incidents that happen in the national hockey league um going back from that point in the frustration did did that sort of have a a rallying effect around this team or am i overstating uh the event no i definitely think it had a rallying effect and i think a lot of blues fans think that as well um that was you know, the low point for the team. And that was when I think they kind of looked in the mirror and thought, okay, we need to get, get our stuff together and start winning. Um, so I think that was definitely a big spark for the team. Yeah. It was kind of a, who are we going to be moment? Are we going to be this last place team? Um, are we going to put our head down and play some hockey? And I think from that point, and, and obviously with Bruby coming in, um, but I'm in the room. Um, sometimes that, that that can go one way or sometimes it can definitely go the other. And in the St. Louis Blues case, I think um, it was a, it was a look in the moment. 
or a look in the mirror moment. And, and they, they definitely use that coming up in the standings since then. So let's move, let's, let's talk about Jordan Bennington. Um, this team has was for so long, the, the Brian Elliott and, and Jake Allen show, and really neither one of them was ever able to say, I'm the number one guy. It always seemed like the next guy was, was looking over his shoulder and, and then he would come in and then he'd be looking over his shoulder and, and the number of coaches coming through never really was able to settle on one guy to be their number one. Um, obviously Elliot moving on. Um, what, what, tell us a little bit about Bennington's backstory because he's, he, as the general public, um, this is a, a pretty much a Cinderella story, this guy coming in and, and just blowing doors on the rest of the, of the National Hockey League. Yeah, um, Bennington has had this skill set for a few years now. Um, but like you said, he was overshadowed by the strong duo of Jake Allen and Brian Elliott. And when Elliott left, the Blues uh, star goalie prospect, Billy Huso, uh, started playing great and was coming over to the AHL and everything. So there was never really a chance for Bennington to sh- shine. But over the past three seasons in the AHL, his numbers have been tremendous, um, despite having you know a terrible defense in front of him and stuff. So it's been a long time in the making. And now that Allen's struggling and, so struggling in the AHL and everything. Um, Bennington just finally got the, you know, the chance to make make his mark, and he's definitely taken advantage of it. All right, well, let me bring in Chris here on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Gabriel Foley, St. Louis Blues writer for the Last Word on Hockey at Last Word on Puck at NHL Foley. Chris? Gabriel, it's great to have you on the show so, again. So, uh, you know, before the season started, if I would have said to most people, well, the Blues down the stretch are going to be in third place in the Central with a chance to move up to the second. People say, well, that makes sense to me going into the uh, into the regular season. But, again, a big part of that has been uh, Billington and uh, and uh, Bennington and um, Craig Berube, which no one could have uh, obviously have predicted. What can you tell us about the impact of Craig uh, Berube in terms of uh, what he's brought to the table since taking over as the interim coach, and and what's the long-term future in terms of getting that interim tag removed after the season? Yeah, Craig Berube had a career of being, you know, an enforcer um, and really not taking any crap, and he's brought that same mentality into the Blues locker room. Um, He came into a Blues locker room that was really struggling, and no one wanted to win. Um, There were a few players that were pretty outspoken, saying the mindset in the locker room was just terrible. And Barubi, with his kind of headstrong uh, mindset, has clearly flipped that around. Um, There have been multiple interviews with players saying that Barubi has made the team a winning team. Um, The team has confidence and such now. And that all dates back to him just being, you know, no crap kind of coach and no crap kind of guy. Um, He really wants to instill that winning mindset um, in a roster that definitely can win. And I think his success in doing that has almost – made him a name for the Blues head coaching 
role next season. Um, the Blues obviously planned to keep him around till the end of the season, which wasn't the original plan. Um, so I think moving forward, there's a good chance that he could stay behind the Blues bench for a while. You know, Gabriel, looking over the Blues roster this year and uh, for this week's show, what jumped out to me is, boy, oh, boy, in terms of scoring, uh, St. Louis has really relied on, you know, uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko, who's really uh, during this, uh, you know, since that January, beginning of January, has really stepped up his game. And David Perron, who recently came back from missing some time as well in terms of offense, but, you know, it's few and far between in terms of offense after that. Not that they don't have guys in, who can help uh, help the scoring, but, uh, you know, my question to you is, do the Blues have enough offensively to make a run uh, in the top Western Conference uh, uh, playoffs? Cern, um, but at the same time, we saw Saturday night, last Saturday, um, or no, I'm sorry, that was Sunday. Um, or Thursday, I'm getting my days wrong. But uh, Ivan Barbashev came out of nowhere and scored his first NHL career hat trick despite being the fourth-line center. Um, and I think as much as the Blues rely on the top line of Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, and Vladimir Tarasenko, and then obviously Perron uh, coming in the mix there a bit, um, I think they do have depth scorers in Barbashev and even Patrick Maroon, who has goals in four straight games now, um, players that are willing to come out of the woodworks when goals are needed and have the ability to score. And I, I think that's definitely going to be something that's going to have to stay consistent moving forward and moving into the playoffs. You know, Gabriel, the, before I got one last one for you before I uh, let Mark finish off with you. And that is, you know, look, the last few years, the Blues have been a really good team. They've been a playoff team every, pretty much every year. They've uh, they've had, you know, a tough squad to deal with. But at the end of the day, they, you know, maybe here or there won, won a round. But they haven't had many, many long playoff runs. As much as they've gotten off the mat this season, um, they're going to have a tough first-round opponent. I mean, it's either going to most likely be Nashville or Winnipeg, and um, you know even if they play a great series, they can lose in a long series. What is going to be uh, uh, the the tenor of the organization if they have another, you know, not not a, a playoffs uh, a playoffs where they're not having a deep run? What's going to be the mantra of the organization moving forward, and how will they look at the season? That is definitely going to be a riddle. Um, this summer, they are losing Patrick Maroon, Jay Bo Meester. Um, they have a handful of RFAs, including Oscar Sunquist and Jordan Bennington. Um, these are all players that, if they're going to resign, they're going to need a bit of money. Um, and this is a team that is pretty close to cap already. Um, they have 600000 in cap space currently. So it's going to be a bit tricky for the Blues to stay intact this summer, but also make enough moves to make them a winning team next season if they do get that early exit. So going to be interesting, um, obviously, in 
in a summer like this one with so many amazing players, um, every team's going to want to be as active as they can be. But it's going to be hard for the Blues to be as active but also keep these mainstay guys like Maroon and Bennington and Sunquist. Yeah, we were talking in, in one our earlier segment on the Vegas Golden Knights. They're going to be in, in much the same boat, uh, maybe even worse off cap space. They have $79 million uh, committed to 17 players next season. So, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the there's going to be some changes on the Vegas Golden Knights um, this off season as well. There has to be with all the uh, contracts kicking in next season. For for this season, I had the I don't like having roster change at that level, and I had the St. Louis Blues missing the playoffs. They're solidly in the playoffs as we speak, and Chris kind of alluded to maybe f- facing a first round exit. Um, I, I guess the feeling. My question is that the the feeling in St. Louis Blues Nation amongst the fan base would that be a successful season where you started off so poorly and was able to rebound and make the playoffs? Would that be, well, we always thought they should have been in the playoffs or would you, would the, the fan base go, okay, not too bad with, you know, playoffs. Uh, we got a little work to do and, and go on. What would the fan base feel if they gave, let's say Nashville a, a solid six, seven game effort, but, but came up short. I think um, what you guys alluded to earlier with the Blues' history of kind of disappointing in the playoffs, I, this would actually be one of the biggest disappointments um, mm. in recent history, bringing in players like Ryan O'Reilly, mm-hmm. you know, getting David Perron back, Tyler Bozak. Uh, they have the team to make a strong playoff run, um, and I think fans really are hoping that this could be their year. Um, There isn't much talk about winning a Stanley Cup in the future. It's all, you know, let's win here and now. Um, So I think despite the strong competition um, that they'll likely face in the first round, I think anything short of a Western Western Conference final appearance or uh, even a Stanley Cup appearance will disappoint Blues fans. Um, It's it's been a long time coming for us, so – we're definitely have high hopes for this roster. Wow. Bold statement from Gabriel Foley on the Vegas hockey podcast. Um, you know, I mean, when you look at, at the teams that are in and, and obviously Calgary's played great in the regular season. I have questions about their goaltending uh, San Jose kind of going in right now in, in a, in a slumping mode with some injuries, um, Connor Hellebuck hasn't been playing this season quite as well as he has been last season, although Winnipeg is in first place with 92 points. Um, it, and Dallas and Minnesota currently holding down the wild card spots. Not really a threat in my mind to make any kind of a run. I think both both rosters have some questions to answer. If there is a dark horse in the West, I, I find it hard to look much past St. Louis as a team that could give you a run. Um, I think, I think that roster and their style that they play would match up pretty well against Nashville in the first round, despite the moves that Nashville made at the trade deadline to try and, and get a little more physical and add a little more power play with Simmons and Boyle and, and et cetera. Um, 
I look I look forward if that's the first round matchup. Um I look I look forward to watching that series because if there is a dark horse in the West right now, I would have to put it on the St. Louis Blues, yay? Yeah, I completely agree. And especially with the struggles early on in the season, um I think outside the Blues fan base there isn't high expectations for this team at all. Well, all right, Gabriel, thanks for joining us on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Follow him at NHL Foley on Twitter or go over to it. Uh, the last word on hockey.com or, or on Twitter is uh, at last word on puck. And Gabriel's got all of his content on the St. Louis blues there. You guys can give him a follow. He's got great content coming out uh, pretty regularly on those, on that website. So thank you, Gabriel. We appreciate your taking the time this morning to talk to us. Always appreciate being on. Thanks, Gabriel. Yep. Have right. a good one, guys. All right. Uh, St. Louis Blues hockey. You know, as we were talking with Gabriel there, Chris, I I did uh, I I more and more when you look at where the team came from to get to the, even the the third spot in the Central and and playing what we we had coined the toughest division in hockey um, to come from that far back early in the season and make that run to hold down that third spot and really maybe give Nashville a run at that second spot in that division. If Nashville slips up here down the stretch um, and Jordan Bennington, if he can maintain the, the phenomenal run that he's been on since he got, got called up, why, why can't St. Louis uh, be that dark horse runner in the Western conference? Yeah, no, I know. I think you hit the nail on the head and you know, the thing is it, it's not the, you know, look, there's no shame if they lose a long, tough series to some of those teams you just mentioned, be it, let's say, in Nashville, Winnipeg, with his most likely first-round opponent. But, you know, when you look at um, the last few seasons, even going back to when Chicago was winning cups and getting, you know, or worst-case scenario, you know, getting far in the playoffs, um, you know, St. Louis has always been a strong team, but just couldn't, can't get over the hump. Uh, There's the next level from those other teams, and that seems like what is still going on. Now, obviously, they've had, they had a very busy off season, bringing in trading for Ryland O'Reilly, you know, bringing in a David Perron, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see um, how they attack it with not a lot of cap space. There, they're definitely, I think, a day, no doubt, a dangerous opponent, uh, a team that um, that if you know will not be an easy. Uh, task for either most likely Winnipeg or Nashville, but let's make no mistake, they they enter that series as the underdog. So, uh, and let's also put this in mind, um, you know, as great as uh, uh, as Jordan Bington has been in the regular season, I mean, he has no experience, and then obviously we know Jake Allen is very up and down, although he has playoff experience, so that's obviously going to be a very big question mark when if they're going up against Winnipeg and their firepower or Nashville and their experienced team. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and um, Blues fans aren't going to like listening to this one, but uh, they, they w- they've had some pretty good situations in the playoffs. I remember I'm looking it up to make sure 2012, 2013, they went up two nothing on the Kings. Uh Second round, lost four straight. Went up the following year, went up 2 nothing on the Blackhawks, lost four straight. An eerily similar series from the 2012-13 to the 2013-14 team. Um, 
first in the central 2014, 15 lost in the first round four to two, um, mm, three straight. So I, I understand where, where Gabriel's coming from, where recent playoff history could be kind of painful to St. Louis blues fans. Believe me as, as long times Kings fans, I know about, about pain. Um, it'll be interesting to watch this team. I think a lot of those issues, uh, and we've, we've talked with, uh, a number of guests about Brian Elliott and his uh, inconsistencies and, and here and there. And I think a lot of those issues in the playoffs came down to the having a one, a one B goalie tandem with Allen and Elliott that didn't, you know, didn't ever, I think the rosters at that point were, were very strong and, and competitive rosters, but they just have the tendency to give up that goal that you just can't give up. And, and maybe Bennington's going to just ride this hot streak, uh, much the same way we saw the Hamburglar in Ottawa uh, a couple of years back, just come up out of, out of nowhere. It sounds like St. Louis blues guys have known this kid for a while, but um, just general hockey fan probably hasn't heard of Jordan Bennington before coming up this season. Um, maybe he's going to ride in and, and, and take this team on a playoff run. There'll be a dark horse and in, in maybe I'm foreshadowing a little bit of when we do our playoff preview. Um, be an interesting team to watch. Absolutely. So why don't we jump to the OT segment, and we want to talk about coaches on the hot seat. But before we do that, there are a number of teams to keep an eye out on what they're going to do with, well, some of you we know and some that we don't in terms of the quote-unquote interim tag. So, for instance, in Philly, Scott Gordon has the interim tag. Do they do they go with that young coach who used to coach the Islanders a number of years ago who's been a good assistant or do they go for a more ex- uh, experienced guy? Obviously, Joe Quinville is the elephant in the room or the walrus in the room, if you will, in terms of being on the free agent coaching market. I mean, Ottawa seems like Mark Crawford's a stopgap for the end of the year. St. Louis, Baruby, got to think that there's a, sh- a very, very strong case. He comes back. Been texting with Rob Soria uh, this morning in terms of Edmonton. Hitchcock, his deal by all accounts seems to be just for this season, so they're going to be in the market for a new coach. Anaheim, Bob Murray took over from behind the bench, but that's just a stopgap to get a fuel for the team. They're going to be getting a new coach, and your L.A. Kings, sir, will probably be looking to get a new coach as well as they have an interim as well. So so that's a, that's a number of potential hires right there. And then the three teams I circled in terms of uh, maybe hot seats, wrong, but question marks. Detroit, Buffalo, and Florida. Uh, let's take it real quick one time and get your thoughts on them. Buffalo, you know, when you look at since that 10-game winning streak no. going back to to November, December, they've been their record is one of the poorest records in hockey since then. This is Phil Hollingsley's second year. Does – you know, does uh, that GM say we need to make a change, or does Phil Housley get another year to show that the Sabers are moving in the right direction on our playoff team next year? Good. I I, I think Housley should be safe. He, uh, Jason Bottero, the general manager in Buffalo, came out and uh, gave him the uh, seal of approval for next season already but sometimes we know how that goes sometimes yeah. that's the Kirk sometimes that's the nail in the coffin when you when you get that but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why Phil Housley took a took a team and and obviously the worst team 
and now he's, he has got them considerably approved in all aspects of the game. And I still think there's some work to be done with the roster. Um, oh, absolutely. But, but, but let me let me give you something that maybe you don't think about when you when you're talking about coaching change in Housley. He retires the number four uh, scoring defenseman of all time, highest scoring defenseman of uh, American born player. You have a Rosmus Dahlin on the roster, and I don't think you're going to find anybody to guide him into becoming the player that they expect him to be um, behind the bench as a Phil Housley. I think that. I mean, even for just that reason alone, he's given you the improvement in the standings from year one to year two. The roster is still super young with the middle stats and the Eichels and the Darlene's. And I mean, gone down the list, they traded for some veteran stuff in the Ryan O'Reilly trade, but um, that's like just stopgap roster stuff. Um, Your, your core nucleus is still second, third year players. And I, I think Housley gets at least one more year base. And, and I, I like where Buffalo's headed there. They've definitely shown an improvement. And I, I, I want Housley to have at least one more year with that Buffalo roster. I think he deserves it. Now the next team I have for you is the Red Wings. And to me, this is kind of tied to the GM. Um, Ken Holland obviously has been the GM for the Red Wings forever. Is it, you know, they are clearly rebuilding um, they have some young, talented forwards uh, on the roster. It seems like their top prospects are also in that vein. So they got a lot of work to do on that blue line, long-term answers and goal. I know they just resigned Jimmy Howard to a one-year extension. But to me, I would think that the coach is going to be tied with the GM. If they decide to move, say, you know what, Ken, you've been unbelievable for us, but we just think maybe take a different role in the organization. It's time for it a change for someone to sit in that chair, then I would think, you know, Jeff uh, uh, Blasel's job would be in very big jeopardy because, you know, that GM Agreed. probably is going to want to pick his home coach. If they stick right. with Ken Holland, um, I would think that the coach would stay because if they stick with Ken Holland and now oh, another year from now, they're kind of like in the same boat. They're progressing a little bit, and you're like, okay, well, uh, you know, and you and you let the coach go now, and now you're going to let the GM go. Well, now you're bringing a new GM who has to take this coach we didn't hire. So I kind of see those two things kind of hand in hand. How about you? I agree. No, I agree with that. Blasio's been there since 2015. Um, he hasn't – the roster's been iffy, up and down, not consistent. You know, the Tatar trade and, and whatever, there's pieces that are still maturing. Um, I'm kind of indifferent on that. Even if, if Kenny Holland wants to change coaches, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I don't think they're a Stanley cup competitor next season, regardless of who's behind the bench. So if you're going to change the front office, then change the coach. I think a hundred percent, if Kenny Holland moves within the office away from the general manager, hundred percent, then Blasio's looking for a job. Um, and no, no disrespect. Um, he, he, you can make the very simple case that he hasn't been given the tools to be competitive with. No. That being no, said, they're on the roster. Yeah, for sure. But that 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 being said, you have a team that's, you know, twenty nine years in a row was in the playoffs, and now they've missed two years in a row. 
Maybe it's time for a change behind the bench. Maybe it's time for a general manager just to freshen, freshen the air, if you will, in the room. Um, so I'm kind of indifferent. I'm kind of with you. If if they do make a change in the front office, then I think 100% he's going to want to bring in his own coach. Um, if they stick around for another year, um, then you're trying to let some youngsters develop. You had some picks that you got and some moves, see what they're going to grow into, uh, make a move or two on defense. I think get younger at the goalie position. Um, it are all things that could be done to the roster to give Blasio a better chance, chance <clears throat> excuse me, at success. So I'm kind of indifferent on that one. Yeah, no, like I said, uh, that's, to me, I would think it would be time to change the GM. And not, nothing against the coach, but uh, uh, time will tell on that one. Obviously, Ken Holland's very established. And the last one on the list is the Panthers. And we talked a lot of Florida Panthers last week. Um, you know, this has been a disappointing year. I mean, to fairness and Bob Boone, second-year coach, you know, his first year wasn't like a, an exact failure. They finished with, I believe, 98 points. The East was very deep. They missed the playoffs by one point. But they've really taken a big step back this year. Now, um, something to consider, you know, basically a 500 hockey club. Something to consider is Dale Talon hired Bob Boone, and this is only, you know, year two. Does he get another year? Obviously, the the Panthers are going to be, by all accounts, very going to have a very active offseason. Most people feel. Uh, how how do you see Florida shaking out with uh, what they're going to do moving forward? Uh, this was the one I, I, I was kind of tough with because I've been kind of critical of that on ice product in Florida. I think they're underperform. I, th- I think we should expect more out of a roster that that uh, is is put together the way that roster is, and, and I think a lot of times at that point, then you can look at the head coach and say, why aren't we getting more out of our roster? That being said, you you are relying on a forty year old goalie who's missed considerable amount of time to injury, and maybe that's that's the problem in Florida, but I, I think just watching them play, it seems like they're just from shift to shift. I'm not the, I think it's the easy way out. I think it's deeper than that. I mean, I agree. I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent from shift to shift. When I watch that team play, I'm not seeing that, that hunger and desire and the, the, the it factor, the physicality, whatever you want to call it, the willpower, whatever. And, and I think that you can look at, at, at the coaching staff when you're trying to put together um, just the outline of a season with the roster that they have, number one has to be the, the competitiveness and, and what you bring to the ice, being ready to play every night, every shift, every drop of the puck. Um, I don't, I don't see that in the Florida Panthers. And I think that for, for me, I got to go to the coaching staff and find out we're going to have a real hard interview at the end of the season and find out why this team wasn't ready to play every single night, regardless of, of Luongo's injuries or, you know, Trocek was having a great year and he, he, you know, missed a lot of time with his injury. All that was standing. There's just a, that it factor and the competitiveness that I, I could see in spurts from this team, but I don't see it night in and night out from this team. And I guess at that point you got to go to the coaching staff. Yeah, no, I think it's 
they're to me one of the puzzling teams in the league this year. Bothers me. I know you can point. I know you can point to the goaltending, but you know they they have to get better at playing team defense. Um, you know, Keith Yandel is going to be another year older. I, I, he's no longer an elite defenseman. I mean, obviously they have Ekblad, uh, but you know they need to get better uh, in their top four on defense. They need to get deeper in terms of the third and fourth lines. Uh, they need to get better, obviously, in goaltending. So, um, and it's not an easy division. I mean, obviously, um, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Boston don't look like they're going anywhere, uh, anywhere anytime soon. Buffalo, we feel like, is progressing. Um, you know, obviously, Ottawa is rebuilding. Um, you know, Detroit is, uh, you know, rebuilding. But, uh, you know, the Eastern Conference is, is deep. Uh, it's not an easy division, so how do, where do they go from here? One thing I will say, let's just say uh, uh, these three guys, these three coaches uh, uh, get through this. They'll be the coaches to start the season next year. All three of them have to have, in whatever definition you want to call it, really strong seasons for their clubs next season. Those, those are going to be some make-or-break years, I feel like, for this trio. Bye. January, in Florida's case, if 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 Boone makes it through the off season, I I think uh, you better come out of the gate and show me that you're going to be a competitive hockey next season, or I'm I'm looking to make a move mid season. We had quite a few teams that went with the interim coach this season, and if he makes it through the the off season, and you know I'm not here to call for anybody to lose their job. That's not what we're, we're saying here. We're talking about the direction of the franchise. Um, you got to be looking at, at a coaching change there if they get off to a bad start there. I say, but I say Housley would get the full season next year before being evaluated. And, and I agree with you on the Red Wings that it's going to have to be a package deal with, with Holland and Blasio before that move gets made. If I told you, last question for the show, if I told you that Joe Quinville is going to be coaching next year at one of these spots, like between the interim spots and Detroit, Buffalo, and Florida, who would you put your $2 wager mm. on? Jeez, that's a tough one. Um, he's definitely the, the the star here that we're trying to get a home for. Um, who? Is he tempted to go to Edmonton with uh, with Dry mm. and obviously McDavid, but boy, oh boy the problem there is so that Quinville's, Quinville's a very smart man, and he can look at the cap space and the restrictions that that. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If Edmonton offers him general manager head coach, and I know that doesn't happen too often anymore, but if they offer him control. Maybe he goes there. Maybe that's the next thing for him to do. He's he's proven everything he needs to prove. The guy's the guy's a legend, Hall of Famer. Well, I got one ten times what over. About Flo- what? What about Florida? If uh, you know Dale Talon, obviously knows Joe Quinville uh, well. Let's say they bring yep. in Panarin, uh, who he's coached, and with some of their young talent and getting over their talent and getting you talking about puzzling and having talent and if they can upgrade in goal. Um, what about the Florida connection? I, I think that would be an attractive offer. Um, 
I think you're talking about Babcock money if you're going to get him into that market. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 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 or, or, they would have yeah, to owe. I think, one of the highest. Yeah. I think I think you're talking sure. Babcock plus if you want to get him into that market because, let's face it, it's a struggling market. Um, if he goes to Florida, I'll say right now they're a playoff team. I, I I think he would make that much of a difference behind the bench with that group. There wouldn't be any question of showing up to play it with with Q behind the bench. I promise you that. Um, I, and I promise you that that he would get the most out of everybody on that roster. Um, I think. Yeah, I think Philly could be the most attractive. I was job yeah. For I was just gonna go Philly. Philly uh, might be. Ready, you know. I thought they were going to take that step this year, and and it just it just didn't happen. Um, but they do have their young goaltender in place now. I'm a I'm a Carter Hart fan. I think he's going to be there for a long time and be very successful. I think their young defensemen will take another step. I think, you know, their young forwards are are in place. You might need to add a piece or two for the depth, but Philly might end. Plus, it's it's a huge hockey market. Great fans in Philly. Everyone knows. Um, they're passionate about their teams in Philadelphia. Um, I would, if I was going to rank the three that you just mentioned, I'd, I'd put Philly one, Florida two, Edmonton three. I think Edmonton's going to be in a real hamstring spot for a couple of years with their salary cap. Unfortunately for Drysdale and McDavid, I think they're a ways away from being able to put a roster together to compete. Well, one thing I will say in terms of Philly and overall, and what a difference. Uh, Coinville can make is while this year has been disappointing, but to show how uh, the depth of the East and specifically the Metro. So let's look at a team like the Islanders who have been a big surprise, for instance. They're going to today tie for second at 91 points, and Philly, like we said, has been a disappointment, and they're going today at 80 points. Okay, that's an 11-point swing. So that's basically, you know, five wins, right? Five yep. wins and an, an OT loss, if you will. Sure. Well, let's call it five. Let's call it five wins. Okay. We're in the fifth month, or fifth month plus of the regular season. That's a win a month. You know what I'm saying? Sure. That's yeah. basically from October to now, the Islanders have been able to win one more game per month than the Flyers, and yep. that's nothing. Um, but it also shows you how tough it is. In the in the especially the metro, how deep the metro is currently, uh, when you look at the top five teams in the metro, uh, or top six I should say, because the Flyers are now currently number six, how tough it is to make the playoffs coming from the metro division. Oh yeah, no no question about it. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, that's why I have a problem um, with, with with Florida. You have to be able to show up and compete every night. One win, one win a month put you in or out. Um, and maybe maybe you don't feel like it. Maybe you're tired. Maybe it's the second on a back-to-back in January and you're in the Canadian swing and it's 10 degrees outside and you had to go from Calgary to Montreal overnight and blah, blah, blah. You can't lay down that game. Maybe, maybe the other team has an off night. Maybe you get a goal early and, and you rattle the goal and then, you know, Stuff starts to snowball, and you steal that game on the road. Once a month is all it takes. And you, in order to do that and steal those games that maybe you're not your best, it, it takes it takes competitive effort. And 
you know, like you said, the difference between Philly being in or out is one one a month. I think Quinville does that to Florida. I think he'll do that in Philly. I think Philly's got a, a little more advanced with their roster. I, I, I mean, I'm happier with with floor, uh, Philly's roster as far as uh, goaltending and, and the the depth of the youth there in Philadelphia. I think there's a lot more room to grow with, with the young guys they have. I think um, Florida should be more advanced than they are with, with the guys than when they were drafted. But um, I, I would think Philly would be a real attractive opportunity for Coach Q. There's another name that's on the bench that maybe you haven't been thinking about, Lindy Ruff. Um, it's got That's a quality head coach that most likely will be back in the National Hockey League next year. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a name to keep an eye on. And one thing I'll make you a point about one a month, uh, to, to illustrate that point, I mean, I think he's been worth more than one a month. He's probably been worth at least two a month. Uh, what has Barry, what has Barry Trotz meant to the Islanders in terms of uh, Hello. Uh, those extra games per month? Yeah. So uh, uh, as an example of what we're talking about, that you know, hundred uh, so, percent. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think Coach Q would be uh, um, he would make he would make a huge difference for uh, for a couple of those a couple of those squads. Mm. My bet's Philly. Florida, Edmonton, if we're just talking about those three teams. So that'll do it for this week. We're going to be off next week. I'm going to be out of town. So, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're going to be doing in two weeks' time? Well, the next couple of weeks are off next week, but then the week after that, uh, tentatively, we are going to have Chris Wassel on. At that point, we'll be leading last weekend before the playoffs. we're probably going to have – well, I shouldn't say that. We're going to have a number of Metro teams in the playoffs. He knows the Metro very well, covering the Devils and get his thoughts on the uh, the playoff picture. And then the week after that, we're going to have Russ Cohen back on the show uh, because the previous Tuesday at that point would have been the NHL lottery. So we're going to get a little sneak preview, not only a sneak preview of the draft because the lottery is so early this year, we can put – you know, names to places. So we'll know by that show who's got the number one pick, who's who's picking second, so on and so forth. So uh, that's over the next couple of weeks. So one week off, and then we'll be back at it uh, moving forward. All right, all right. We're going to go take a little time off with the family in Southern California. Really looking, looking forward to that. Uh, it should that's be a awesome. good trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really looking forward to it. So until two weeks' time, for Chris on Mark, and we're gone.